Hey, 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 party people. Today I have an amazing guest for you. Her name is Helen Zoba, and I can't wait for you to meet her because she is one of the coolest, quirkiest people that I've ever met. And she loves art, which I love, and she's also super confident and also talks about mental health and has dealt with um, different chronic illnesses. So she's honestly the perfect person to come onto this show and to talk to all of you. So I can't wait to introduce her to you and uh, have you all meet her and learn from her because again, she's so epic. So Helen, hello. Hi. Thank you. For Hi. That. Um, oh my God. No, you deserve it. <laughs> You are a glowing goddess. So of course I have to give you that review. Um, so with that, Helen, would you introduce yourself to our listeners, our party people, tell them who you are? Yeah. Um, so my name is Helen Sibola. Um, I originally come from Ohio, um, and I currently am 25. I live in Los Angeles, and I am the editor of social media for Playboy. Um, oh, casual. <laughs> yeah, not not where I thought I would be, but here we are. Um, okay. Yeah, is there, like, what do people yeah, want to know? Yeah, no, so, so let's, let's talk about... I guess there's there's a lot to unpack. So you live in LA. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the mental health situation going on in LA with a, everyone's body image and everyone thinking something about anything that you do out there? Yeah. So I mean, it's been interesting. Um, and I like when I started working at Playboy, that was something I was worried about because like. Yeah along with having a history with chronic illness I also definitely Mm -hmm. have a history with like depression and anxiety and eating disorders um but I've also always been a very performative person and loved playing with fashion and stuff um and what's funny is I feel like that actually goes over way better in Los Angeles and I feel way better about myself than I ever did in Ohio um like yeah, people just, like, were not picking up what I was putting down. So, and I think I, like, moved here at a good time in my life where that doesn't necessarily get to me, I guess. Um, I think the harder thing for mental health is just, like, being in a city and knowing so many creative people and feeling like I'm not doing anything creative Mm -hmm. or productive or, like, yeah. I'm not hanging out with people enough. I'm not collaborating with people enough. Um, so I feel like collab. Yeah, the anxiety I get comes way more from like a productivity standpoint or right. a social standpoint than an image standpoint. Um, yeah, which is kind of interesting because I feel like growing up, I had a lot more trouble with both of those things at the same time. Yeah, so I guess. Another question I wanted to dive deeper into before we kind of start talking a little bit more about mental health is that you studied art in college, right? Can you tell us about your love for art? And also um, after that, I guess, like why you decided to study art also, because we do have a lot of listeners who are in college and... Mm -hmm or maybe they've chosen a certain career path with art or with, again, like whatever kind of degree they choose to do. Um, And I guess with the pandemic happening, everyone's like feeling like, oh my God, like what am I going to do with this degree? Or like, what can I do with this career? So can you just walk us through? Yeah. First, why art? 
And I guess I'll probably have to ask a second follow-up. I'll just ask a second follow-up question <laughs> okay. later. I'm so indecisive. Um, yeah, so I went to Tufts and I graduated in 2018, so that's in Boston. And I actually double majored in cognitive science and art history. Oh, wow, um, the STEM queen. Yeah, very STEM. I was like a combination of psychology and linguistics and computer science. Um, Beyond cool. Yeah. And like having the combination was really interesting. I think I was actually the first person to do that double major at my school and write a thesis that combined the two of those things. Um, oh, wow. So I went in knowing I was going to do cognitive science and I didn't know if I was going to do something else, but I thought it was going to be, I went in thinking like, oh, maybe I'll double major in like biology or computer science. I was like full, full STEM ahead. Um, and then like, I also just didn't really know what art history was. I didn't know what studying art looked like. That wasn't, mm-hmm. that's not something people did where I'm from. I come from like a very practical place in the country. Um, so it was like already crazy that I was going all the way to Boston for school. So it was like, okay, I better study something like useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized I was still kind of missing something from the science side of my studies. And I like, talked to some friends who were taking art history. And I was like, okay, that combines archeology, span which I love, I'm like a huge archeology span nerd. Um, but it also combined things like video art and like meme culture, like how people use visuals in everyday culture um, and film studies. So yeah, like mixed in some studio art and I paint a lot and I've been painting more currently and have done some screen printing and other other things like that. Um, but yeah, I think that to me, that's like, I got into art because I'm just fascinated by what people make. Whether so it's like- on the, on the note of like what people make, have you ever kind of used art as a vehicle to express yourself? And if so, in what ways have you kind of done that? Have you used art to maybe like tell a story about your mental health or um, anything like that? And if you haven't, tell us a little bit about your your fun art and if it's like a hobby. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's both. Because um, okay. for me personally, when I'm making art, like humor is really important. So when it is about my mental health or something like that, it still is like playful and funny. Um, right. So like I do, I paint some self-portraits sometimes, which is fun to play with. It's fun to play with how you see yourself, like mm-hmm. the shapes that your body makes abstractly. And I think that's actually a really helpful way of dealing with like body image issues. Um, mm-hmm. Cause when you're painting, you have to sort of look at things as abstract shapes and lines as colors. And so I think it helps you detach from it in a like when you're having body image issues, you're so tunnel visioned in on specific things. Yeah. And I think painting it makes you detach from it a little bit and then appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I paint self-portraits, but they're usually of like, it. it's like a nude of me with my cat. Or like <laughs> when I first started noticing wrinkles on my face and my chest, I did a paint, like a painting of my face and then used gold foil to make wrinkles. So oh it's God. like, um, yeah. I I love that and I think like using humor is is a great way to kind of like lighten the situation it's also like people always say it's clever right 
Yeah. There's a reason, there's a whole career field dedicated to comedy, right? right? Like, and I think there's a lot of space for vulnerability in it. Like, I think yeah. the best comedy is also some of the most vulnerable art. Right, um, yeah. Especially because it's, like, spoken word and oftentimes you're performing it in front of people. Yeah. Um, and on on the note of that, I think, um, which you did kind of gloss over, is the fact that you are the social editor for Playboy and you have all this art knowledge, how do you kind of leverage that knowledge of art and that knowledge of like curation and self-expression and do that for this global brand? Yeah, I mean, first off, there's like so much material to work with. Um, Mm -hmm. It's almost like too easy sometimes because (sighs) there's just such a wealth of incredible pictorials and interviews. and such a wide range of visuals that go with all of it. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, I think something that my coworker Andy and I really focus on is just how it looks together. Does it look cohesive? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Some brands care about that, some don't, but I think it, it elevates ours um, because, you know, a lot of people don't know Playboy that well. I mean, it's super globally recognized but it's maybe not globally known um right so I think like by elevating it visually it helps remind people that our content historically is also pretty elevated um Mm -hmm. and intellectual and then actually I feel like a lot of the crossover between cognitive science and art history comes in so it's like what do people like (gasps) seeing um you know like what aspect ratio how should this be cropped so that people are more apt to like it and engage with it psychologically which is very much how the algorithm works so I feel like oh my gosh that crossover actually really helps me finagle the Instagram algorithm um yeah because it's just what people like spill the tea tell us tell us your like your formula or like any I guess Maybe how can you take some of those tools and, and implement that really anywhere and or test it anywhere, I guess. I think the biggest thing is to remember that it's intuitive. Um, so right. like when you're scrolling through your feed, what are what catches your eye? It's usually going to be something that has a face or faces in it, something that's not super zoomed in, but not super zoomed out either, and something that has a lot of color and a lot of contrast. Mm -hmm. So like a dark picture that has a lot of shadows and maybe is like of a person who's far away. I mean, maybe you're making that choice artistically or whatever, but just like psychologically, that's not gonna like ping people's brains. Um, It's like faces are something that pings people's brains because it activates a different part of your brain But yeah, I think my biggest tip is think about how you act as a user and then apply that to what you're posting and it probably will Mm -hmm. work. Oh, wow. I feel like, like you said, that's like such a simple rule or such a simple thing to follow, but you don't think about it because it's like almost like intuitive. Like you would never really analyze what you're doing online. And there's not these like reports that come out saying like, oh, here's everything you liked on Instagram, which is why... I think TikTok sometimes does so well because you can see what you liked and then compare your For You page to that. 
Um, so anyhow, before we get into the next section, you all know what time it is. Time to drink some water or whatever beverage you have nearby um, because you deserve to be hydrated. Because hydrated people do yes. good things for the world. Um, but yeah, so I love that. And I wanted to dive deeper into kind of managing a giant account. Um, the Playboy account, I believe, has like a million or a couple millions of followers, right? Yeah, I if think I'm it, not it's mistaken. Like 8.7. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, like casual. So that's um, a lot of people to manage under uh, a profile. How does that, um, or does that, I guess, affect your mental health in terms of? you know, responding to comments, what are people going to think? How is it going to perform? And then how is that going to affect you mm-hmm. and like your job performance when you talk to, let's say like other people on your team and like how, how, like, what is that like performance anxiety or like mental, mental pressure of managing a giant social media platform? Because managing yeah. social media um, is stressful. And it moves really fast and it is really hard to plan for it. Um, any anxieties I've had around managing it have changed a lot. Like when I started, um, it was by far the biggest account I'd ever managed um, and definitely the most engaged, mm-hmm. like by like literally times a million. Um, so like at first, a lot of the anxiety was just like, is everything right? Is everything correct? Like, am I going to put this out and there's going to be a typo in it? But you get used to that pretty quickly. Since lockdown started like two years ago, which is crazy, a lot more of the pressure I think has come from other coworkers realizing and coming to rely on how important social media is for upkeeping brand awareness, mm-hmm. selling merchandise. Yeah. Um, which like I knew already because that's my job. But a lot of the pressure now is like you said, it comes more from like, am I doing enough? Am I thinking about things enough? Am I coming up with creative enough ideas? Um, there are like also a lot of hardline metrics. Like, are we selling things? Are things being bought on the Instagram shop? If we post something right. that's really significant for us, is that resonating with people? Which can be hard because like, like you said, algorithms aren't super straightforward there's not really like a cause and effect all the time so we can plan out the wazoo but in the end like we can't fully predict what's going to happen or how people will react to something or if they're even going to react to it it's just a testament to remember that like you're saying social media moves so fast and Obviously, if there's, like, a huge mess up and something offensive is said, which we've talked Mm -hmm. about in other episodes, like, obviously, fess up, apologize, and don't get yourself, like, canceled, or don't do something stupid that you're going to regret in 60 days, you know, six years, whatever, six months, like, don't do something like that. But if you do make a mistake and you're running, like, a brand, I think there's also been a lot more Mm -hmm. play involved with that lately. I know we've seen a bunch of other brands, um, you know, comment on things going around, like, obviously, with the pandemic, we had, like, Delta Airlines and, like, Corona beer, like, kind of, like, make these funny plays and, like, everyone loves, like, what is it, the McDonald's Mm -hmm. social media manager or something is, like, actually really funny with their, like, posts. And I just think that it's showing that, 
we're giving the individuals running the account that trust and that autonomy to play into the culture that's happening on the internet and not necessarily like what are people liking in real life like oh how are we going to you know emulate the vibe of an event let's say and how are we going to do it based on how the people are experiencing it versus maybe bringing in a creator like yeah when I came to the playboy party in Miami Art Basel which we should also briefly talk about in a little bit but like handing the torch kind of over to the creators and being like and also the creators can also be like obviously like Mm -hmm. you employed by the company and like work there full time um and your focus is like on this one thing and it's like you said you can get so sharp you can get so good at you and your brand or you know the brand you're managing that it's kind of cool and with that I think um something I'm really dying to know is like how do you deal with this outside of social media like or outside of your job running social media and are you able to easily flip that switch off and be like okay I'm done managing or like I'm done with my job for the day I'm signing off or are you running this account 24 um, 7. So now it's more like I'm signing off I'm not gonna look at it and if something important happens then I'll get a text. Um but that is something that I had to right. learn and practice. Because yeah. um, also when I started, it was like yeah. exciting that I had access to these things. And it's like fun to look through the comments and like, right. I have a, a photo album on my phone that's just screenshots of funny comments on Playboy posts. And it's like, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily like a bad thing. I was just like, oh, there's so much. And if I get bored of looking at my own Instagram feed, I have a whole huge other one. Um, and like, it's always there. And so like, not only was I always looking at it, like coworkers are always looking at it because they're also on their phones and they're like, oh, I wonder what the Playboy Instagram is doing. And so then even if I'm signed off, someone would be like, you know, suddenly has an idea or like didn't like something. Um, and so it made it really hard Mm -hmm. for the first like year, year and a half to turn off the switch and feel like I wasn't thinking about it all the time so what did you do like what was what was the change for you and how did you do it and what are the tools that you use to um, manage that better I mean there's definitely an internal part of it where I would just have to be like do you really want to be looking at the playboy instagram right now like do you want to feel like you're on the clock right now sometimes yeah it's like I wonder what's going on or like right you know I'll reply to comments or dms because it's kind of fun um, but I think the biggest thing was being very clear and communicative with coworkers because, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, Instagram doesn't turn off. So people are looking at it all the time or people are on Twitter and they're having ideas, um, which is great. And like, we love having input from people, but it's like, yeah, we all, <laughs> we all have the social media and we're all on it all the time. So it gets easy to not take a break and then it gets easy for other people who are using social media as a break because that's not their job. And then they have an idea and they hit you up or like something happens or it's like, oh, we should do this. Um, And I just had to learn to be very clear with people, especially supervisors, people above me, which can be really hard. Um, And I'm like a very (laughs) outspoken person and even 
if I'm trying to not say something, I'm usually making a face and don't know it. Um, and I've been like that my whole life. So <laughs> like, I mean, thankfully yeah. I'm like, that is like, I think a point of confidence, right? Is being able to say something clearly and be like, this isn't like, I'm not going to work like that. So a lot of it came from um, making a rule yeah. of like, if you have an idea or you need something from the social team, ask yourself, can this wait until tomorrow? It probably can. And then wait until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'm just like very careful to turn off mm-hmm. my Slack notifications when I'm done working. Um, and that helps a lot too, because yeah. I know if I get an important message about something and I don't respond to it, if it's really important, I'll get a text or a phone call. Fine. Um, so it's just right. learning how to right. set boundaries really and like filter those things through for yourself. Um, and then you can focus on your own behavior yeah. of like, oh, am I spending too much time on my phone doing this? Um, but yeah, it was really yeah. setting boundaries. So what are what are some things you like to do when you are off the clock? Like do you like for you, for your mental health to just like detach from our screens? Mm-hmm. Um, I know you mentioned art. Is there anything else that you do that like help you boost your confidence and like love yourself and enjoy yeah. life? Um, I'm like definitely very much an extrovert. So making sure I get out and see people is really important. Um, I live alone and work Mm -hmm. from home, so it can be really easy for me to be like, oops, I haven't seen another person in five days. Um, And I've gotten used to that, like, for the first time in my life, um, which is weird. And then I'm like, oh, why do I not feel great? Why do I not want to do anything? And I'm like, oh, if I just, like, go hang out with some people, I'm going to feel a lot better. Um, And especially, like, doing creative things with people, so, like, a lot of my friends are musicians and I'll go to their shows. Like I'm going to a show tomorrow night. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really fun because it's like a musical creative thing, but it's also very social. Um, so that is a big one. And then um, physical activity and exercise. Like sometimes it's like annoying that that's what works, but it totally does. Um, so right. I work out yeah. with a trainer once a week. Um And that, like, gives me a nice, like, hour break from work on Thursday mornings. Um, And I've started back up taking Mm -hmm. ballet classes. So I was a ballet dancer, like, my whole life. Um, And did it really seriously. Huh? Okay, Renaissance woman. (laughs) I said, okay, Miss Renaissance Um, woman. I did it really seriously up until college and (laughs) still did it regularly in college. Um, So I also make sure to do that because I think – Like, I was just, have always been a really active person, and I think if I don't keep that up, things get built up in your body, and I start getting weird and antsy and lethargic. Um, So, I mean, sometimes I don't want Mm -hmm. to do it, but forcing myself to do those things is, like, so important. Yeah, it can be so hard, and, I mean, I, I think, like, I have experienced a lot of challenges with my my boundaries with social media, especially one because I'm not like a global I'm not a global yeah. corporation or company. Like I am a small business of less than ten people, and we work 
across yeah. three time zones or four time zones. However many t- are there three time zones or four time zones between three. New York and LA? I feel like it's like it's three. Okay, but is Mountain and Central the same, or is it different? <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. <laughs> like, it's like. It's, right. it's Eastern. I think right? Mountain Time and, is like controversial. And then it's Central. But I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know why we're having this conversation about time zones. But anyway, <laughs> um, I will, yeah. I guess, figure out by the next time, the next episode, and keep you all posted. Um, oh, oh, we got someone in the chat saying like, okay, Mountain Time's like Arizona, New Mexico. So, okay, I think it's my understanding that there's like New York is like – 3 p.m. and then Mount uh, Central is like two is an hour, uh, is yeah. two p.m. and then Mountain is one p.m. and then Pacific is 12 p.m. I think I got it. I think we. I think there is that three or four. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, Anything, wow. Any, this like, is time for debates in the comments, really which is kind of funny. Hurt. I'm like really good at other kinds of math. I know. Yeah. The worst thing like when you're traveling. No, when you're traveling, it's nope. like oh my god. Absolutely not. Um, so, okay. On that note, you did say you were a, like an extroverted person. You love people. You've always been like pretty confident. Um, has there been a time where you've had like a limiting belief or imposter syndrome? And if so, how did you overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I think I have always had like a, a natural confidence. Um so it's not that like I've ever not had that. I think it's just sometimes been outweighed by insecurity and anxiety, especially growing up and in high school, of course. And that was and actually something I experienced a lot with ballet. Um, because I mean I had really good training. Mm-hmm. I was in a pre-professional company, so I definitely was like not bad at it. Um but then when I, my chronic illnesses started emerging, um, it just yeah. led to a lot of distrust in my body and feeling like, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you think that, it's really hard to make yourself do it. So, right. but that was also like, because that was such an intense thing at such an intense time in my life, being a teenager, um, I yeah. think it it kind of forced me to learn how to cope with things like that. So do you want to tell us, like, if you're okay with it, like, a little bit about your experience with a chronic illness uh, as a teenager? Mm Because I, too, went through that. And it can be very, like, debilitating. And, I mean, one of my limiting beliefs, I know you said once you have that idea that you can't do something in your head, like, you can't. And I started um, having Mm -hmm. injuries basically when I was, like, 11 years old and I got diagnosed and – it was injury after injury, and every time I would try to do something, yeah. literally something, like, fun, like, jumping off one of those yeah. trampolines in the at, at camp into the lake. Like, literally, I did that, and I, like, ruptured oh all God. these tendons in my arm. And yeah. I was like, I can't even have fun. Like, are you kidding me? Um, I can't do sports. I can't swim. This sucks. Like... I don't yeah. want, I, I just want to be a kid. I want to have fun. And you're like forced to, to cope yeah. and like grow up faster and learn boundaries faster because Wait, you don't it's literally choice. your coping mechanism. So no, sorry, I, like, that's my story. Super, yeah. So like, what was your experience? Yeah, so mine started a little bit later. I, I'm not totally sure. Um, but 
when I was 16 or 17, things just started feeling off. Um, it became like managing my weight became really weird. Like I just felt like, you know, I mean, there was also some eating disorder stuff mixed in, but it felt like no matter what I changed about my habits, yeah. it didn't affect my weight either way. Um, it was kind of just like what my body felt like doing. And then I was also experiencing in retrospect some muscle atrophy, um, which is also like we're not trusting mm. my body to be able to do things and ballet came from because mm -hmm. I couldn't. Like I could do as much strengthening exercise as I wanted, but it, my body like couldn't build muscle. It was actively like eating it away. Um, but I would go to doctors and it was so hard to get them to listen because they'd be like, your blood work looks normal. Go mm -hmm. on a diet. I don't know. Like, just supremely unhelpful. Um, and then finally, I got blood work that came back showing thyroid abnormalities. And then I got an ultrasound of my thyroid and it was like fucked up in literally every way it can be. <laughs> like, um, So I didn't have like a specific disease. And I didn't have cancer and I don't have an autoimmune disease. So I, I still don't know why it happened and I don't really have like a, a name I can pinpoint it to, but um, I had to have mm -hmm. my thyroid removed a few months later. So that was right after I turned 18, wow. I had it removed and right before I went to college. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, That's it just hard. like, your body's changing so much when you're young anyway. And then to have something that like really throws it out of whack, you're just like, you're just like confused all the time and you don't know what you can do and you don't know what you can eat. And you're like, sometimes that thing makes me feel bad and sometimes it makes me feel better. And like, so I had my thyroid taken out, had like, was on my medications and I was okay. And then I started having um, some really bad symptoms of adrenal fatigue. So I kind of just have like general endocrine problems. <laughs> um, so, and wow, yeah, yeah, That's it scary. is and like, it's also something that's really nebulous and a lot of doctors will do just routine blood work and then say you're fine and you're like definitely not fine um right but again that also like you said it forces you to grow up and it forces you to be um confident and like firm in what you're saying with people because mm -hmm. that's the only way that you're gonna yeah. survive right and like with that, was there anything that you specifically did as a patient to kind of, like, address the situation either with doctors to be like, hi, mister or ma'am um, or person, like, will you please double check this? Like, this is, you know, can you look more? Like, what did you do to, you know, get to the point where they found something and they found whatever mm -hmm. kind of form of treatment to treat whatever symptoms you were having. Um, cause a, a lot of times in the chronic illness community, because a lot of these times these conditions are invisible and you can't see anything wrong. And a right. lot of times the blood work will come back normal or, you know, everything's seemingly normal. Um, how did you kind of continuously push for that? Like, treatment because it can be yeah very fatiguing and very discouraging and you can just be right. like well fuck and you're my already life sucks fatigued, and, and you're already like I'm in college and yeah. everyone else is like drinking and having fun but party like like I was just like fully sober for most of my sophomore year of college and like not by choice it just like 
Yeah. I Yeah. Um, right. I mean, my mom was actually really helpful in a lot of this. Like, she just did a lot of research and, like, talked to people who were had who had had similar issues um, and just kind of tried to learn more. Mm -hmm. But I think the other thing that really helped was, you know, definitely being forthright, doing research and knowing what questions to ask. So like they say, oh, your blood work came back normal, Mm -hmm. knowing to ask like, oh, was this in the blood work or making sure they test for a certain thing um, is helpful. And then also knowing when you just need to find a new doctor. Um, that was the most helpful thing was just like, oh, amen. if a doctor wasn't working and they weren't listening to me <laughs> even when I was insistent, like, don't go to them again. Um, so like I went to so many right. endocrinologists um, who like this is, it was their specialty and they literally were like, I can't help you, bye. Um, and ended up finding a really good doctor at the end of 2015 who I've been seeing since then. Um, who works with a lot of chronic illnesses like mm-hmm. this. Um, and she was super open. She was like, you know, while I was getting everything under control, getting blood work really frequently, I could email her and say, like, I feel really bad this week and I don't know what's happening. Um, and even just knowing that I could say that to mm-hmm. her and she'd email me back, like, even if she didn't have a solution or whatever. Um, I feel like having the security and having someone who is listening to me say what was happening, um, I think was actually like really physically helpful in terms of healing and like treating all the symptoms I was having. Right. And how did that whole experience affect your mental health? If, if it did, I mean, I don't like, also you said you missed out on like a a lot of potential milestones in college and Um, I too can relate. Uh, I'm also experiencing that now because okay. I am on a medication that I can't drink on and I'm, you know, 23 it's years hard. old in New York City and it's like, not always fun. You know, it's like it's not going to kill you or anything. <laughs> um, like, yeah. It sucks. And sometimes, like, that's the thing with chronic illness. You're like, yeah, it's not yeah. life-threatening. Like, I'm getting better. But you're like, but this sucks. It does. And I feel like... Um, We do have a comment here from this person named Daniel in the chat saying that they used to put a lot of trust in the medical system, Mm -hmm. but now not as much. And knowing that it's like their fault for not seeing some of the issues sooner is it can be so frustrating. And that's where I think the intersection of like people becoming advocates Mm -hmm. like myself, like being a patient advocate and talking directly on panels like at different business universities that are mm-hmm. studying digital healthcare and telehealth now because obviously yeah. that's like a huge career field nowadays more than ever um in the past two years and and talking mm-hmm. and working with pharma as potentially controversial as that is if we have patients on the side of it where they ask a question saying oh well how can how can you know doctors understand how to you know talk to chronically ill patients when you know perhaps they're having a roadblock it's like I'm just fucking believe us obviously I would never say that on the panel I just want to make that (laughs) very clear but having that relationship to be able to say like look this was my experience it was not good because of x y and z here's the solution that as a patient would make me over the moon um and again that's going to be very subjective I can only share my experience and what the community that I'm you know I've kind of fostered talks about um to them but 
I just think it's going to become more and more prevalent and we're going to start seeing more patient advocates really stepping up and hopefully shaping that landscape and also hopefully getting compensated for it because I think a lot of times people are like, "Mm, no. Um, So, so yeah, that's just, that's another thought that I was thinking of. Um, I would say it's about time for a water break. So if you're listening and you have a beverage nearby, it's time to drink some water and hydrate. Uh, because, yeah, it just is, you can't, can't listen to something for 45 minutes that's and like drink a, water. Let alone you can't speak for 45 minutes. Thing as much being on thyroid medication is that, like, I uh-huh. get dehydrated so fast. <laughs> It's, like, ridiculous. Oh, my God. Especially in Los Angeles. I'm, like, have to Um, drink so much water. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, and also, like, I feel like no one really, like, talks about all of the side effects that you can have when you're on medication, and I am just now coming to terms with taking medication because I was on, like, trials of medications before and taking, like, 30 pills a day and just being like, oh, my God, this is miserable. How can I live life like this? Like, I can't do this. And, again, like, developing trouble, like, eating because the medicine made me nauseous and, like, eating made it worse or eating made me throw up. And then, like, then, again, not being able to drink, not being able to go out with friends, needing to rest, like – Oh my god, there's literally so many different things that happen. And then that's on top of right. managing work, which like holy shit, props to you for doing a full-time job. Like I part of the reason why I founded It's Gigi and did social media full-time was because I literally have been going to yeah. the doctor like twice a week usually um with appointments two or three times and it's like I don't have um I'm still working with like doctors that are at like a bigger hospital so it's like I can't text them or I can't email them like I have to do it during business hours and if I need an appointment in the middle of the day I need to be able to have an appointment in the middle of the day and if I work at a nine-to-five job yeah that's just simply not gonna be possible so I (laughs) I am like bowing down to you this is like thankfully so cool or not I don't know like that phase of my chronic illness of like the constant doctor's visits and blood tests and stuff I was in school um yeah so if I needed if it was like oh this really good doctor only has an appointment at this weird time that was okay and um actually the student health services at my school was great and they like had a fully functional blood lab there um Oh, yeah. Isn't Tufts, like, a completely, They have a like, medical, medical school. It's yeah. It's big on medicine, um, right? But, like, they look a, even just yeah. the undergrad health yeah. services They're were great. And it, people. like, I actually really miss it because it was so easy. I could go and get, be like, this thing feels oh. weird. And you can get a walk-in appointment. Um, mm-hmm. And I could get all my blood work. So, like, in yeah. that sense, you know, I'm glad I was able to do that but it was also really hard to manage school and like living with roommates yeah. um while all that was happening like also while this was happening oh gosh, I was living yeah. in like an insane art co-op with 13 people um who were just like <laughs> oh bonkers insane art people <laughs> um and I'd be like yeah, yeah I'm like dead sober right now yeah uh cool <laughs> like glad oh word God. They're like, we're tripping on acid. What are you guys doing? They'd be like, oh, we're watching (laughs) Dawson's Creek, but muted and with like horror movie soundtrack over it. And I'd be like, 
cool. Oh my god, wild! It's so much fun for me. Yeah, sounds like our kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I I love that, and I mean, also like, how are you doing now? Um, and how you know you sound like you mm-hmm. have it somewhat under control. Yeah. I don't want to assume that because I never assume with chronic illness and mental health, but. Um, how you seem like you've had quite the journey over the years and at this point, yeah, like, I mean, at this how point is really under control. I definitely have to still be on top of it. Um, like my diet and managing stress and getting enough rest are like just as big as my medications mm-hmm. I've found. So, you know, I have to be careful because yeah. like, you know, when we were in Miami, I was fine, but I was like, Okay, if I don't oh, yeah. eat enough protein today, if I don't get enough rest, if I'm not drinking enough water today, if I get too stressed out, um, I'm going to be, like, pretty sick and, like, out for the count next week because there's, like, a with mine, there's a bit of a lag. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I have a question about managing chronic illness in the workplace. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask it? Okay. Um, the question is this. Do you tell your coworkers that you have this or do you feel like it's too personal? Um, and the reason why I'm asking this is because mm-hmm. some people do think it's too personal. Other people are like, if I need to clock out, I need to clock out. Other people are like, I literally can't clock out mm-hmm. because otherwise I won't get paid, right? Like, are the are the accommodations that you get at work, like, if you need them, like, good and are you able to facilitate that yeah, discussion yeah. if you need it? Um, I mean, I think going through everything when I did in such formative years, um, I think you learn how to because mm-hmm. you don't have a choice. And it's like, if you don't manage it, the only one who loses is you. Um, I mean, it's much harder. Before I worked at Playboy, right. I was working like three freelance jobs and working part time at Whole Foods. Um, and that was a lot harder. Oh my so, gosh, wow. That's a lot. Like now I think yeah. it's easy. I also work with my best friend, so like things aren't too personal. Yeah. And I don't I would say like I don't bring it up mm-hmm. out of nowhere. I'm not like yo, who else got endocrine problems? But um like I think it's also like this is a health thing. Um I'm good at what I do. I will get my work done, but not at the expense of like a week of feeling really shitty. Like, you know, something like Miami and working, I'm like, okay, this is maybe something where I can say, maybe I'll feel like shit for a couple of days next week. That's fine. Um, Right. But it's kind of worth it. I mean, I feel like I don't really have a long-term sustainable choice to not talk about it um and again thankfully Mm -hmm. I work really closely with my best friend so we do the same job so if I'm having like a bad day or a bad week yeah it's great she already knows the whole backstory and she knows what it looks like if I don't take care of myself yeah that's great and another question that just popped into my head is did you get this job right, like, as the pandemic was happening or over the pandemic? No, like, I started – that correctly? The July no. before the pandemic. So I worked in the office for, like, six or seven months. Got it, got it. 
And so I guess with that, I'm wondering if you have any words of wisdom to anybody kind of transitioning from that in-person to remote lifestyle and also potentially if you have the Mm -hmm. option to like go back and like how has work from home changed um like the way that you work and approach managing a social media channel yeah um so I'm a really social person um and I'm also really socially motivated Mm -hmm. so like I on the days I do go into the office, I get so much done. I get done so fast. And I was like that in school too. I was like, if I need to get work done, I'll just go to the library and then everyone around me is doing work. So I'm gonna do work too, fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as soon as I'm alone, my ADHD is like, oh no, you need to go polish all of your earrings. Um, (laughs) So like, It's definitely a lot easier for me to not get caught up in work working from home. Whereas working from the office, I was doing overtime constantly because I would just get like caught up working on stuff with people or talking to people. And then I would like stay drinking wine, talking to a coworker until like 10 p.m. And then I'd be like, oh, my God, I've been at the office for 12 hours. you know, not as a bad thing, but it's I think it's been good for me that that has been limited because it actually has made me. It's made it easier to detach from work because I don't have this like social temptation all the time. You guys, I can't believe we made it 55 minutes through the episode and I didn't even (laughs) tell you how I met Helen. Like this is so embarrassing. This is the first thing I normally lead with. Um, And I feel like I should talk about that now because as we talk about like social media, um, I made some videos for the Playboy team at uh, their Art Basel experience uh, in Miami. And that is where I got to meet Helen and Andy and a bunch of other amazing people from their team who honestly changed my perspective on Playboy. And it was beyond cool because at first it's like you have all these potentially like ideas of what Playboy is um, based on history, right? Like, right, in Playboys it's like very historical brand um I think it dates way back and we we don't necessarily need to go into all of that but since it's evolved into this brand that just exudes confidence like that is what it's all about it's like embracing your body embracing your like confidence and just being like totally badass and owning it and maybe owning it like I don't know (laughs) like a cute little In new ways, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> but, um, okay. oh, okay, we have an interesting question. Um, So on that note, I was just wondering, like, how, if you could just talk to that um, kind of confidence and also, like, that the brand has channeled over, the, I guess, is I guess is it like a rebrand yeah, that so, you guys I have mean, done? Yeah, we call it internally In a rebrand, ways? but it's also like a, a shift and in many ways a return to the brand um, of decades past. So it's kind of like a mix. It's a mix of new and a mix of going back. Right. I love that. We have a question here saying, have you gotten any flack for saying that you work for Playboy? Um, like, do people judge you? Not as much as I thought they would. Um, aside from my family I mean, when epic. I was first like, interviewing at Playboy I told my mom and she called me a sellout <laughs> um 
and told me to not tell my dad or his family I was interviewing oh. there because they're really Catholic. Um, then I got the job and I told my dad and oh he was like, gosh. oh shit, that's incredible. Your grandpa had a subscription for years and they used to go to the Playboy Club in Chicago all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, oh my gosh. it's kind of surprising who I do or don't get flack from. Um, and a lot of times I end up having really yeah. interesting conversations and also, with like, people and like end up changing each other's minds about things. So it's yeah, it's made yeah. me comfortable with gray areas. First of all, like it's it's also 2022. Like we shouldn't be judging people. And has that been something that like has helped fuel your confidence or has that hindered it because you're kind of always like trying to validate? Yeah, it's yourself. definitely a double-edged sword. Um and like even when I go home to Ohio now, I feel like I have to like validate myself or justify what I'm doing way more. I think I also do think it made me confident in things, um, especially like my beliefs about things, because I know I can mm-hmm. back them up. And like I also know that the things I right. think and believe I don't think or believe just because the people around me do, because I've never been like that. Um, so I also like am confident in what I believe and think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Well, Helen, so this fun. has been so fun. Before you go, I want to ask you what your favorite mantra or okay, quote so This was really is. hard because I realized I'm, like, not a quote person. I just get, like, lines from movies stuck in my head a lot. Oh. <laughs> um, Do you, oh. Okay, like, it, this it was is really first. hard for me to think of one, and, like, a lot of the ones that I was considering, I was like, Helen, that's, like, actually gibberish. Like, you can't, you can't do Kim Cattrall oh scatting. No, we love that. <laughs> um, so one I was talking about with Andy this morning, I was like, what is, like, a Helen quote? And yeah. she brought up that one that I say a lot in response to yeah. people is from the movie Harold and Maude. I don't know if you've seen it. It's great. Um, okay. But there's a scene where... Harold's mom is making him like a dating profile and filling it out for him. She's like this domineering mother. And she it's, you know, some line about being like introverted and isolated and weird and sad. And then she just goes, well, that's you, isn't it, Harold? Um, and I use that quote a lot for like, I see something, <laughs> you know, like maybe you see like a, an astrology reading, like I'm a Gemini, so I get read for filth all the time. And I'm like, that's me, isn't it, Harold? Right. Um so I like using that as like a oh yeah recognition of yourself. It's kind of like embracing. All about self-confidence, isn't it? It's like owning like who you are, yeah. which is the entire point of this entire episode because you are yeah. one of the most confident people that I know. Thank so, you. Um, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Do you want people to come look at your art anywhere? Um, should yes, they follow the Playboy follow channels? Playboy channels. Like, um, you can also follow us. me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm at what the hell w-h-t-t-h-e-h-e-l um i also have a i also have a twitter you guys will love it i promise you find it (laughs) um but um seriously this was so much fun thank you thank you thank you you. and that's the end of the episode come back next week guys bye